everybody welcome to a good football show i am patrick darty today i'll be joined by denny carter and john daigle where we're going to hit on some of the latest news and talk some of denny's preferred best ball stacks we will give you a hint none of them feature good players um, <laughs> as very true and we're also i told john i was gonna let him explain this part but so we're also coming at you live now on john where are we coming at people live from <laughs> We are going to be on NBC Sports Edge's YouTube moving forward. We record every Monday, so keep track at home, jot it down, put it in your calendar, every Monday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, and then Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, right? 2 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. And by the way, these are the same questions I text the group every single day. What time do we record again? It's the same time. (laughs) So you show up and you're going to get a live show. Could be a disaster. That's the whole point about tuning in. And then it's still going to flip into a podcast. We're killing two birds with one stone here. It's a live show, but it's still the same podcast. On audio, you're not going to notice any difference whatsoever, except for us mentioning that we're live sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've got that. So gentlemen, I'll get right to it. We debated what a prompt should be today. John said no prompt, um, but okay. I, I think we need the prompt. Um, Denny, Denny, who has never seen a movie released after 1989, <laughs> I want to ask Denny, what is the best action film of the 80s? Because I believe you were recently tweeting about one. Man, yeah, uh, right. I was, I was tweeting that for the first time I watched Predator all the way through. And um, this was because my son has become obsessed with Predator, even though he's never seen it. And, I, you know, over my dead body, will he see it anytime soon? He's eight years old, uh, you know, and but he might actually take me up on that challenge. I, I watched all the way through. I thought it was excellent, super cheesy 80s movie. Um, I, I don't know if we can say it's the best action movie of the 80s. And I think that Pat and I are in agreement here. Um, and this, of course, is... Uh, an extremely white dude take, but I will say Die Hard, as Pat would say, I believe that Die Hard is the best action. I'm not an 80s movie buff at all. I don't have like any uh, like nostalgia for 80s culture, really just a forsaken decade. I mean, the one we were all born into. Yes. But horrible culture. You know, they're even putting scents on like Bruce Springsteen in the 80s. Uh, you know, not using real drums, but Die Hard, not only the best action movie of the 80s, probably the best action movie of all time. That's right. And, John, have you seen Die Hard? Um, of course. We, we three I, for three on Die Hard being the greatest movie of, not just great, this is just the greatest film of all time. <laughs> is Cinema. It, isn't Heat from the 80s? No. No, no, Heat is from 1995. Michael Mann. No, they're, really? Yeah. 1995. Bob De Niro, Val Kilm, um, and uh, Al Pacino. Okay, Heat. sure. I will go along with Die Hard. I totally agree. And by the way, uh, I was all for opening topic i like audio loop in my podcast i know a lot of people don't but i prefer to start it slowly uh having said that i also am proof that to be in the best relationship whether working or real life you got to meet people in the middle so when the adults in the other room say they want to start a podcast with 80s action movie talk i say okay that's fine i'll have a conversation in the other room and then i'll come over and talk shop afterwards so i'm glad that we all met in the middle here you we brought have. in Heat, which Heat is probably honestly the best action film of the 90s. So we kind of killed best film ever. Let's, let's, uh, let's pump the brakes on Heat. As long as you didn't you say, know. what's that one awful movie that's four hours too long, The Deer Hunter? Oh. Uh, Deer Hunter, that's from 1978. I don't know if you'd okay. call that an action film. That's most famous for a Russian roulette. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
not sure that's really and that, that that was produced whenever editing did not exist in the film industry they just didn't care they slapped all four hours onto film and called it a day right and, and then there's usually an even longer director's cut which by the way check out apocalypse now redux the greatest director's cut of ever? all time ever yeah. wow, apocalypse now we're talking actual greatest films of all time apocalypse now is in the top three these are these are bold claims where this has become a very bold podcast you would go along well in the civil manner. Y'all two <laughs> would get along very well watching movies at night. I gotta say the before I'm not I'm gonna cut you guys off. I just say the greatest film ever made is 2001: A Space Odyssey. Just for the record, uh, but it's I, time to get into the news. No, Denny, no I, words, I, no I, words. I, I no, I have an opinion. I go, um, I'm going with The Shining. I'm going with another Kubrick film. The Shining's in probably in my top twenty. Yeah, uh, but it's time to get into the news. Okay. Uh, Urban Meyer, we, we love our Urban Meyer, don't we, folks? Uh, Urban Meyer said his first round running back, Travis Etienne, took most of his rookie minicamp reps at wide receiver. And that the worst case scenario is that you have a running back that has elite receiver skills. Uh, I think everyone on Twitter, this is one of those tweets that every single person, like if you have an active Twitter account, you quote tweeted this tweet when it came out over the weekend. I did five upside down emojis (laughs) when I quote tweeted this tweet. Uh, Do we hate this? Do we love this? Do we kill it with fire? Uh, Denny, I will go to you first on your thoughts on Travis Etienne, a, yeah. a running back, uh, a, an elite, uh, kind of all-time great ACC running back who is, again, drafted as a running back right. playing at wide receiver. What do we think of this? I, I'm i intrigued, and, and, and he, here's why. I mean, first of all, I, I still don't think that he was a, a good pick where he was picked and everything. I, I disagree with that. But like I just said on, on Twitter, we can say – that drafting a running back in the first round is not ideal, but also say that that running back might be very useful for fantasy purposes. These are two things we can hold simultaneously in our brains. Uh, As a former Percy Harvin uh, truther myself, uh, I was very intrigued to read The Athletic today uh, and see that Urban Meyer invoked the name of Percy Harvin when talking about uh, Travis Etienne and... uh, in his potential role in the Jaguars offense. So we're talking about a do it all type of guy and, and the way that Harvin was used at Florida uh, under Urban Meyer and the way that Harvin was eventually used for a short time, a brief time before injuries took its toll, took their toll uh, in, in Minnesota. Uh, so uh, that, that has my attention. I, I will say uh, the, the uh, other side of this is that if, Etienne is, is really primarily going to be used uh, as a pass catcher in the pass in the uh, passing attack for, for Jacksonville. Then that opens up carries potentially uh, for, for James Robinson. Not a ton, probably, but uh, enough to probably make him viable week to week, um, you know, in 12 in team leagues, especially if he sees, you know, goal line touches. Will that happen? I think we're a long way from answering these questions. But for the James Robinson truthers out there, this is not bad news. One, I will say you should tune in to our two off-season live shows weekly because you'll get to see me battle lighting like a professional working-class adult as it looks like I'm currently in a castle being lit by a lantern right now. Uh, Second, 
this news makes me want to be higher on ETM because this is the exact role we want him playing for fantasy. I truly believe that any player can show up and learn running back. It has to be the easiest position in the on the entire field. And this isn't just coach speak. Uh, any coach can get up and say they want their running back to play in the slot and catch the ball more. We see it every offseason. It's usually one of the most clicked blurbs because every coach says it. Dan Campbell said it about DeAndre Swift and his hiring press conference. The thing is, I didn't believe Dan Campbell then. I will never believe him when he says that about Swift because Urban Meyer is different and how he chose ETN. He wanted a player at number 25, which is actually take lock. He should not have done this to, in the first place. But he said he wanted Kadarius Tony to play this role. He missed out on Kadarius Tony because the Giants went up to grab him. Thus, it became ETN now playing this role. And he's been very clear that's how he's going to implement him as ETN did that, as you said, throughout the weekend at rookie minicamp. And so if that's how he's going to be used, even if that is his one role, let's say he gets two carries per game, and I think he's going to get much more than that, this is terrific for fantasy. I just find the whole thing so strange because as you guys kind of both hinted at, like not even hinted at, set, like this is a role that like Urban Meyer like always had at UF and Ohio State. He always had this kind of like hybrid slashing like uh, combination player, but it was usually someone like Percy Arvin, more like LaVisca Chenault and something he already had on his roster yes. in LaVisca Chenault. Right. And I just don't understand. Like Travis Etienne is a very good receiver, but to me, this is not the best utilization still of Travis Etienne. And then it, it, it kind of almost like by default you into not the best usage of LaVisca Chenault. I feel like he's doing like the opposite of killing two birds with one stone where he's like almost creating like two problems where none needed to exist. And it just makes me wonder, like, Herb, clearly uh, a very self-assured, self he's an all-time great football mind, but, like, just kind of not surprising at all. It seems like he's maybe coming into the NFL overestimating the way some of his college practices are going to translate to the NFL. And it just, it, almost to me, nothing, even if, like, the roles end up fine, it just almost, like, highlights to me, like, a, a naivete that he's going to have about approaching it's, the end. Like, it's ignorance. Yes, it's just straight up ignorance. There, there, there are a lot of funny storylines that are going to define Urban Meyer's career, which already looks like it's like it's off to a terrible start. Which, by the way, don't let that reflect Etienne's fantasy stock. Two different right. things. But the worst of all, the one that's not even funny, is the fact that he literally just ignored the talent he inherited and went with his guys. <laughs> exactly. Lavisca can Lavisca can play this role. Why is it Lavisca playing this role? But instead, he's going with Etienne. The, the dream, yeah, the dream of Lavisca in this slasher role is is over it's done like, I, I don't know if it's over it's just delayed and john it, put what i was trying to say into better words and like so the thing urban is he he really he's an all-time great football mind but it seems like even an all-time great football mind is gonna like insist on like creating like self-inflicted growing yeah pains. I, just make it harder than it needs to be it's hubris i think more than more than ignorance here i sure. you know he, he you know these college coaches come in like we saw with nick saban in miami so much confidence so so little self doubt after dominating a college program uh, for 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 so long, not being questioned ever by anybody, and they come into the NFL and they say, "Well, I I know everything. I know everything. We're taking it to end. I don't care who's this Lavisca guy. We're we're doing it my way." Very quickly before we move on, Denny, does this affect James Robinson's stock and your zero RB tiers? Because he has reached the point where he can actually qualify as that. For sure. I, I'm I'm excited to see him dropping. I, I did a best ball draft over the weekend. I saw him drop, I think, into the late eighth or, or mm -hmm. early ninth round. Uh, that's that's encouraging. That's a good sign for 
you know, the, the viability of, of going that direction uh, in 2021. Okay, so we're going to move up. We're going to kind of move on from the Jags because this is something else that John had already hit on where one of the reasons Urban Meyer is using Travis Etienne at wide receiver is that he appeared all in on Kadarius Toney and then just totally panicked and like freaked when he was no longer there, when he was picked by the Giants. Mm-hmm. And of course, Kadarius Toney, so maybe he would have been used correctly by Urban Meyer. Uh, we're going to debate if, he, if he's being used correctly by the Giants because the, the, the reports from Giants rookie mining camp was that Kadarius Toney was mostly lined up in the slot and running shorter routes. Uh, not a huge surprise for someone who, again, we've talked about only has 18 games of official experience at the receiver position kind of profiles as a rookie gadget player. Uh, but John, is this, is there any way this role gets turned into like 2021 redraft fantasy value, like throughout like best ball throughout like dynasty, like, is, is there going to be any for like your normal home season long leagues? Is there, is there any way this kind of projected rookie Kadarius Tony role gets turned into fantasy value? Not a chance in hell. Not, <laughs> not, not for redraft. Uh, there, There is an ADP. I will gladly take him. He still does have first-round draft capital, although that can be argued against too because does first-round draft capital really matter when it's Gettleman and Urban Meyer's capital? Probably not, honestly. But it's just interesting because we are depending far too much on Jason Garrett, who was an OC for the Cowboys. He got that job strictly – had never had that job in the past, by the way, until he was hired in 07 because he was Troitman's backup. He was friends with Jerry Jones. He got the job. Then he was promoted within and held on for six years too long after he lost play calling duties as the team's head coach only one year into his decade-long career there. So everyone thinks that suddenly, like, Jason Garrett's going to know how to implement these pieces. No! Jason Garrett doesn't know how to be an offensive coordinator. It's been proven time and time again. So I worry about Katoni. But then again, like I said... And I know you didn't talk about it, but like best ball in, in Dynasty at the very end, uh, I will take him there. And that's pretty much all I'm taking him at. Yeah, Tony, before you're going to jump in, Tony, he could be like one of those classic X factors of Dynasty drafts. Because even if we don't know if we believe in the player, even if we know we don't believe in the play caller and the coaching staff in New York, Dynasty drafts, I mean, I have learned you ignore real life draft capital like at your own peril. Right. Yeah. Kadarius Tony is the fourth receiver off the board. And that could be a very great hedge in Dynasty drafts all spring and summer. Like if everyone else is letting Kadarius Tony fall, say you've got the ninth or tenth pick, I and mean, this will happen. He could fall even further. He's gonna fall like really far in some drafts. And you're like, I have no idea who to take here. Just don't overthink it and bet on the real life draft capital. Even though there's a lot of reasons to expect this to fail. But again, if you like, if you're in a bad spot on the board, bet on real life draft capital. Uh, I'm having traumatic flashbacks of the last time we all sat back and laughed at a Giants wide receiver uh, pick, <laughs> and you know he turned out to be the ultimate league winner in Odo, Odo Beckham. Now I, I will say that these two players are not the same. Uh, Tony has 17, 18 games total of wide receiver experience but like Pat said, I mean, they, they went in on him, And if that means that they're going to force him the ball and force him into uh, uh, three wide receiver sets and, and make, you know, make sure his snap rate stays high. Uh, then you, you have to acknowledge that. Like it's not, it's, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it is the reality of, of the, of this situation for, for better or worse. And probably with Jason Garrett calling the plays, you know, for worse. And and by the way, one, this news highlights 
how slow minicamp was as we grabbed you yes. today. <laughs> uh, but two, also, it should not affect your opinion on Tony either way. Uh, if you were still high on him, you should stay high on him. Like the report was he had a few drops and coverageless routes ran. But again, he he apparently battled cleat issues throughout the entire time. And his only competition, because the report also is, he looked much faster than anyone else in the field. He was playing along with one of only two other wide receivers available, one being an undrafted free agent from last year, and then one, Nathan Rourke, who is a tryout wide receiver who played quarterback in college. So again, either direction, don't let this news affect your opinion on Tony. It is good that he looked better than those two receivers. I agree. Rookie yeah. minicamp. But cleat issues, I just take them off the board completely. I, I just, don't, don't adjust the rankings, actually. Yeah, don't issues. deal with cleat issues. My final Correct thought on Kadarius Tony just yeah. I'm going to repeat a line I already said, but a rookie gadget player in an offense with a shaky quarterback, someone that we know needs time to develop as an NFL receiver because he's raw, a Daniel Jones offense is just a very dangerous place for that kind of end progress receiver. So, yeah, I agree with John, not seeing any rookie redraft value. Uh, moving on from uh, Daniel Jones to one quarterback who we know for sure is worse than Daniel Jones and another who might be worse than Daniel Jones uh, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater uh, fighting for the Broncos starting quarterback job. Something the coaching staff insists is a totally 50-50 competition, which to me, this seems like the classic. They're setting this up. They're rigging this for Drew Locke. They can't quit oh, Drew yeah. Locke, and they're trying to create a competition that he can win. But uh, is there a part of you guys, by the way, that actually wants Drew Locke to win this? Because uh, we know with Teddy Bridgewater, the floor is so much higher, but the ceiling is so hard capped. Uh, who wants this first? By the way? Who's got the strongest take on Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater? Just jump in. I, I I'm not. It's not super strong because Ted Bridgewater was horrific last year, uh, and Locke was worse somehow. I, I, I'm for fantasy purposes. Honestly, I'm rooting for Teddy Bridgewater to get the job because at least, at least he can manage. Like at least he can make the offense tick. Uh, you know, he's not going to hit guys deep. You know, they have so many deep threats on that team. Uh, they're one decent quarterback, not even a great quarterback, just a decent quarterback away from being a really fun fantasy offense. But, you know, I think uh, I think Locke just decimates everybody's floor in that in, in that offense. Um, and so I'm, I'm rooting for Teddy. The Broncos actually have the league's easiest projected passing schedule. Oh. So what that tells me is that I want Teddy Bridgewater just because I need someone under center who can complete passes. I don't even need them to go deep like Drew Lockwood. I just need passes in the hands of Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, who, by the way, who's only played five full games with Drew Locke back in 2019 when Judy wasn't even on the team and only had one top 38 finish in that five-game stretch. So I just want to get the ball in their hands and see what they can do after since the defense will not be an issue. I guess I'm settled on Teddy Bridgewater too for obvious reasons because the floor is just basically non-existent with Drew Locke, mm -hmm. as we know. But it's just, it's hard for me. I come back to there's a big difference with Teddy Bridgewater with Joe Brady, who one of the brightest young offensive minds in the NFL, and Pat Shermer. I mean, who's competent, but like we have like a hard cap OC in Pat Shermer and then a hard capped quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. It's just like kind of like where does the upside come from? And like it's a good skill cast, a good supporting cast, like very intriguing, but kind of different than the Panthers one where like the Panthers one last year was kind of like the culmination of like it was Curtis Samuel's breakout. It was Robbie Anderson's breakout, really. Uh, like kind of veteran players, players just 
entering their prime, whereas the Broncos is still like a lot of young guys. It's Cortland Sutton coming off a very serious injury and with a skill set, you know, a downfield sideline dominator that does not mesh well with Teddy Bridgewater. Or it's just like part of me is almost like, and too, this is also, uh, I'm my people, I graduated from the University of Missouri. Almost like, let's just see what happens with the lock yellowing guys, folks. Let's just see what we know. We know that uh, the odds that Teddy Bridgewater are better than Drew Locke are probably 95 to 99%. But if Teddy Bridgewater does not have ceiling with the supporting cast he had last year, I mean, he will never, ever have ceiling. And that's, I'm going on the record is this, I want, I want this rigged competition to come out in favor of Drew Locke. Oh, you monster. I am a monster. Before we get to our next topic, I would like to remind our audience that an NBC Sports Edge premium subscription now includes all sports. So you can get access to the MLB, NBA, NHL, and NFL premium products all under the same umbrella. That includes all of our wonderful draft guides, NFL, coming out in a month or two. For 10% off any subscription, enter the promo code GOOD10. That is GOOD10 for 10% off. Guys, Juju Smith-Schuster said said something. I think, I don't know, we can debate actually if this is going to be good for his fantasy value or not, but that he expects to see more reps on the outside in 2021 after he drew a league-leading 103 slot targets in 2020. Uh, Last year, Juju's average, uh, his average depth of target was 5.8. That was the fourth lowest in the NFL ahead of only Jonu Smith, Drew Sample, and Debo Samuel. It was nearly half what it was in 2019 when it was 9.6. John, does this this change the game on Juju at all? And it's kind of like, what should our expectations be for Juju, inside or outside, in 2021 with this Ben Roethlisberger noodle arm? If anything, I would think it moves the needle negatively a little bit because he depended on that shallow a dot to have a high target share since he wasn't an explosive player in that offense. Uh, I know there are three guys we keep trying to parse through, but I keep going back no matter the situation with Juju to Deontay Johnson, who again had a team high 26% target share and averaged 10.4 targets per game. And the 13 starts, he either avoided injury or was not benched during. And so no matter where Juju's lined up on the field, Deontay is the guy I continue prioritizing a round or two higher than the others. It it probably, it, you're right, John. I mean, it probably is not is not great if Ben Roethlisberger's arm hasn't improved magically o- over the offseason. Which always happens at the age of 39. It usually does. We have to say, you know, looking back at history, uh, <laughs> the arm regenerates at 39 years old. Uh, yeah, and, and for PPR purposes, Juju was was like a locked in guy for a lot of last year because he was getting all those little check down five, six, seven yard passes. You know, he's not getting that if he's lined up on the outside uh, even, even a little bit more uh, this season. So I, I do, I, I do think, you know, seeing it, the reaction to it generally seen on Twitter seemed to be, Oh, this is good. You know, he's, he's going to get back to what he was doing earlier in his career. I, I don't, I don't see it. I think it could be good. Just in, I think he'll still mostly be out of the slot, but just kind of like it, it mix in more big play opportunities. Cause like the slot, like he's establishing that floor, like a compiling floor, but you know, almost no ceiling last year. So as long as it was like a road, the slot work too much, I could kind of seeing it be a net positive, but I kind of, so, so John, he's the wide receiver. 30, if I'm reading graphs correctly, he's the wide receiver 33 by consensus ADP. 
uh, unestablish the runs tool. Does that sound correct to you? Yes, correct. Uh, and that, of course, just gauges ADP across the entire industry. That's about right. Honestly, receiver is much deeper in that range than running back. After running back 24, I basically just give up. And from that point, yeah. you can you can wait and just look to Denny's zero RB tiers because it gets ugly and messy. But wide receivers, there are so many strong options with a much higher ceiling than Juju, especially if we're depending on 39-year-old Rossberger in a what should be a run-heavier offense after this team last year had no choice but to run the league's highest run play rate in neutral game script. So I am pretty much out and uh, have not been drafting him much admittedly in that range. Denny, so is, is Juju finally bad enough for you to draft? Mm. I, well, I just want to say, John, you know, you said you outside of the top 24 running backs, you don't, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're out. I'm, I'm out on the top 24. So, you know, that's, that's my, uh, like you said, I, sh- I should be clear and say, I'm done prioritizing after that. There's right, no one, yeah. there's no one I reach for because none of them matter. Like none of them stand out. Right. Gus Edwards. That's it. And the I future, like Gus Edwards. Yeah. in the future, we're, we're trying to add people to the team in NBC sports. I'm going to add a new requirement must like good players yeah. well, at least this, some good players you have to balance yeah you have to balance uh, me uh I, I i don't remember your question uh the about juju's adp what was it, does, it? i just was he finally bad <laughs> enough for you to draft is what yeah, i'm saying yeah well he i think he reached that point last year i was like oh okay now that juju's bad i'm i'm in you know let's let's <laughs> let's get on this uh bandwagon there you go uh it apparently remains to be seen if new Eagles coach Nick Sirianni is going to install RPOs for dual threat Jalen Hurts. Uh, bold strategy, as the, the internet <laughs> meme goes. Sirianni has said that, quote unquote, our job as coaches is to adapt to the players we have. Uh, very good. But then the but is that but run the plays or no, run the plays that they like. But we also have a system uh, concerning, quote, is Nick Sirianni, Denny, going to ruin Jalen Hurts? Is he going to square peg, round hole Jalen Hurts, treat him like Philip Rivers uh, when he could just be treating him like Jalen Hurts? You know who he can treat as Philip Rivers and who's on his uh, roster? I'm going to edit this part out. Joseph Flacco, the fourth. You know, I mean, that he's at, he's there, Sirianni. You heard it. You heard it here first. You, 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 know, you know your guy. Yeah, the 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 butts should be in italics there in that in that quote because it's it's a that's a big butt, okay? And it's a family <laughs> this family podcast, I'm not gonna get into that, but the you know it is it is a large butt. And and saying that we have a system, um, it sounds like you know, on the internet when people say, uh, but we live in a society, you know, we, <laughs> we we can't have a Russian quarterback, we can't have RPO plays uh every every series because we live in a society. So uh, I, I, I'm worried. I'm worried about Jalen Hurts being able to start 16 games. This, I'm sorry, 17 games Ugh. this year. Uh, and, and, and not because of injuries or anything, but because of this talk, this constant chatter from Sirianni. So here's what happened. Sirianni installed his playbook from mostly from the Colts, where he comes from for as offensive coordinator for three years. And it didn't, include hardly any, you know, uh, running plays for, uh, for Jalen Hurts. And then the offensive line coach for Philadelphia comes in and says, Hey, maybe we should, you know, uh, use our, our quarterbacks mobility, you know, and install these RPO concepts. Then he Googles mobility. There's no, right. There's no, um, there was no confirmation in the, in the story by Jeff McClain today for the Philadelphia Inquirer. There was no confirmation 
that the offensive line coach's request or uh, you know tip here was was taken into account or you know was was actually incorporated into the offense. So it just makes me nervous. It's very clear that Sirianni is just a puppet in the grand scheme of things. They hired a yes man. All? This is why Peterson left the left the organization. It wasn't a firing. He got tired of being the yes man and just uh, being thrown out to the media to carry out the bidding that he didn't even support. Whereas Sirianni is your guy. He's going to do exactly what you say. That's why Roseman still reportedly has control over the 90-man roster. That's why he has control over game day 53-man roster. It's just... Sirianni's just doing what he does, uh, whatever. The fact is Jalen Hurts is still an athlete. And so even in the confines and structure of what will likely be a poor offense, I still believe Jalen Hurts can get there in fantasy after averaging 12 and a half carries per game and his three full starts last year. I will, am probably too high. He's admittedly my QB7 in best ball leagues because I do think he starts a full season. And just the rushing upside alone makes his ceiling that tantalizing. But if people are lowering him and want to put guys like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady ahead of him, uh, I also won't argue against it. That, that's fine because I totally see the nightmare that this situation can become. John referenced the Eagles drama from last year, by the way, not to get political, but the congressional special commission into Nate Sudfeld's week 17 cameo <laughs> does begin this week. And see, John, you talked about like Peterson and the front office, clearly like the huge disconnect and like, was it, tr was it a true firing? Was it someone leaving? What we know it was, was uh, one of the core disagreements from the sides was like Doug Peterson making things like too complex, like too difficult for the players and like, I guess the players bristling of that, I guess the front office bristling of that. If I have read anything good from Sirianni, so these Sirianni quotes are not good. You should never be, but like, you should be just, as we've learned, as we've always known, but we find see coaches doing, tailor your system to your player's strengths. Do not make it come hell or high water, your system. So the Sirianni quote was very bad from that perspective. But the other stuff he's been saying, obviously he is focused on kind of like stripping away some of the unnecessary complexity of this offense maybe just a more straight ahead, straightforward offense would be good for all involved, you know, especially a dual threat quarterback who despite their very nature of being a dual threat has like more options on any given play than a regular drop back quarterback. So maybe we can focus more on just that Nick Sirianni trying to make like a, a more straightforward system. It is very hard not to be disturbed by these quotes. Uh, I have to say quickly on, on your, uh, you know, delve into politics there. Uh, the congressional hearing on Nate Sudfeld is going to include Joe Judge crying during his testimony to, <laughs> to AOC. That, that's 100% happening, and I'm looking forward to it. I've been called to testify about it because I tweeted about it 47,000 times. It's, uh, it is, it's one of the only things you tweeted about for a month. It actually kind of was in January. <laughs> uh, going from one concerning quarterback situation to one really funny quarterback situation, Bears coach Matt Nagy. Uh, is predictably doing the Andy Dalton is going to be our starter game. And that he said, Andy, the exact quote was, Andy is going to get the one reps uh, to each their own. Uh, you, could, you could read into that. Does this have a 1%, 2%, 3% chance of happening? Uh, I get, I, I, instead of being a host and giving this to someone, I'm going to say, who, who wants this one? Who wants to touch this hot John. potato? Uh, Go ahead. Well, Stubborn individuals are stubborn for a reason. So there's nothing in my mind that says Justin Fields will open the season as a starter because remember, like 
This is what makes the NFL fun, actually. Everyone, Bears fans in particular, might hate this situation, but the fact we can dunk on an organization for years of blatantly poor decision-making, rally around them whenever they ignore the league's groupthink and trade up for a special player that the rest of the league will inevitably be wrong on and then be reminded that even blind squirrels find a nut every now and again because that's exactly what they're doing. They're going backwards after finally, after years of terribleness going forward uh, going backwards uh, are going forward so anyways though i i am interested to get denny's take because also this is a situation he wrote about in his recent article on best ball stacks and the way i perceive it is that andy dalton will start week one but aaron donald will take his soul and then in the second half justin fields will come in and then we see justin fields the rest of the way after he moves the ball so yeah, John half set this up, not half, 90% set this up. Denny's article on the site, the, the cheapest high upside stacks in best ball. And your first one was Justin Fields and Darnell Mooney. So That's right. take it away, Denny. Uh, so yeah, the, the only thing holding down Justin Fields ADP is this talk about Andy Dalton QB1. Uh, otherwise it would skyrocket. You know, the minute that Matt Nagy, if this, if it comes to pass this July and August, if Matt Nagy even hints that Justin Fields could start week one, we're going to see his ADP jump three to five rounds instantly. Uh, you know, because of, because that of that. will happen by the way, it's a matter of when, not if that pa- happens. Yeah. I feel like. Absolutely. Right. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, that's why I could mention this right now in May, I can mention Fields and Mooney as a cheap stack because Mooney, depending on the site is available 10th, 11th, 12th round. Uh, Justin Fields, I believe, in the, in in the same range. Actually, you can probably pick them back to back in a, in a lot of drafts. Um, you know, so you can take advantage of of that. You know, man made uncertainty. You know that I'm sorry, Nagy made un, un uncertainty. But you know, Pat, the 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 quote, the exact quote, Andy is going to get the the one reps. The one reps. That was okay. the, the way he phrased it. Andy is going to get the one reps. Right. So you can definitely, you know, if you're an overthinker like me. <laughs> and I know a lot. I know a lot of fantasy managers are overthinkers. You can read into that a lot of ways. You could to say, be honest, "I was parsing it." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you you could say, uh, th- "Well, that means that that only means that he's going to start training camp getting the first team reps. That's all that means." You know, he didn't say Andy is our week one starter. So I I, I do feel confident in in drafting Justin Fields where he's going. I I I would be borderline stunned if he didn't get 10 starts this year and and even as someone who thinks knows Andy Dalton will start the regular season Justin Fields is currently my QB 16 overall in best ball he's in tier three with Tom Brady Joe Burrow Matt Ryan the the fringe QB one two range so I I'm still treating him as such as well yeah and and about Mooney just just briefly you know Mooney uh was the team deep threat last year uh, Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles combined for the worst downfield passing in the entire league. Uh, I have the stats on, on the, uh, in the piece, but Mooney was very unlucky with deep shots. He created a lot of separation defenses backed off him in a major way because they know about his speed and they know about his downfield downfield prowess, which is really hard to say turns out. Uh, so I, I do think, uh, you know, and if you get Allen Robinson early, you know, if he falls to you earlier, or early, the, you know, third round or wherever he's going, uh, you know, the fields, Mooney Robinson stack is, uh, is one I like too. So yeah, Denny earlier, by the way, when you were parsing the language, you sounded like someone who watched the Sunday evening, 60 minutes piece on, 
uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon. Um, so, I didn't. I did. I'm not. I'm not over sixty years old, so I didn't see that. Hold on, sixty minutes, but it's on a rival network. No, it's a good show. It's sixty. A good show. I actually have a take. See, yeah, sixty minutes is amazing. What are you yeah, talking about? NBC. It'd be the worst show on NBC, but it's the best. show. How are you not into sixty minutes, Denny? That seems right <laughs> up your alley. I'm trying. I'm trying to appeal to the Zoomers for the first time, and you guys are going the opposite way. I don't get this. I know. Right. I just joined it's the not aliens. You got to watch this week's episode at least. Come on, aliens. All, All right. right. Uh, um, the, the entire archive, by the way, is on CBS.com. You should go back and they're really good. I, I, we hate it. We love NBC. But 60 Minutes is a great show. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we are promoting CBS. I, I will not. NBC, First live I, show going great. I, I just want NBC to know I've never even heard of 60 Minutes. That's true. Never have I. I ignore everything uh, I said. Something I will say about Darnell Mooney, by the way, is he was like on like he was like first team all pro, like the deep threat who was like open last year and then like never, you know, like the classic ball just wildly underthrown yes. and he never got a chance to make a play. And someone, was he a fifth round pick last year? I believe like you take notice. It, he was a day three pick. You take notice when a day three rookie forces their way into the offense right off the jump. And he looked NF already. He looked ready to hit those big plays. So to me, he's an amazing a best ball player where, I, I think we've already seen it on a film that he can do that. And Justin Fields, a big play hunter, should have a lot more success going to Darnell Mooney than either Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky did. Denny wrote about this in an article earlier this offseason, but I believe Mooney was in the first portion of the Hall of Fame prayer yards room um, before you reached Jerry Judy's busk at the end of the wall. <laughs> That's right. It, yes, yeah, he had a ton of air yards. You know, very few of them were converted. Uh, I, I actually remember that the, the the Bears win against the Bucks, if you can remember that. Uh, that was, you know, so long ago and uh, unbelievable in many ways. Uh, he was missed. They missed Mooney. I forget who was quarterback in that game, but they missed Mooney on two deep shots that were easy, easy, right in the bucket throws that could have gone for touchdowns. And uh, so those are the kind of plays that with Fields, you know, with Justin Fields under center, those, those plays are converted. Yeah, under center of that game, by the way, was Caleb Haney. Um, Denny... <laughs> The next uh, Zach Wilson and Corey Davis. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to feel about this one. I should make fun of you uh, for this one. Say I'm intrigued. It's uh, just take lay, so lay, I, lay us the case for Zach Wilson and Corey Davis in best ball. I hedged uh, here because I then I then went on to mention every single pass catcher in the New York <laughs> offense. You know, a lot. If you don't like Davis in the ninth round ADP, you can go with this guy or that guy. That. You know, uh, so I, I I think that stacking Jets makes sense with a quarterback who you know is going to start 17 games and who, you know, coming into or, or last year in college was the best downfield passer, just a little bit better than Justin Fields. In, in fact, the competition was slightly different, but still it, it stands. Uh, you know, Corey Davis is is probably not the, the, the downfield threat here. That's Denzel Mims uh, for the Jets. So I, I actually prefer... Uh, from a from a splash play, big play standpoint, I prefer Zach Wilson stacked with Mims. From a volume standpoint, I think that Davis is the better bet. Um, and, and feel free to push back on this. I am open to hearing that I am wrong here, John. No, I just have always treated Denzel Mims from the time he arrived as an alpha. Uh, and I know some thought his targets from Darnold and Flacco and his ta high target share were prior yards, but that wasn't the case at all because 
quarterbacks can be off range and off target when throwing to Mims, but he proved last year he is the alpha that can go up and get those balls. Whereas Corey Davis regressed in every single year he was with the Titans until A.J. Brown become a full-time player as a sophomore. And then Corey Davis unsurprisingly emerged as a beta um, compared to finally playing next to an amazing all-pro receiver. And so I think Corey Davis can be successful because – I genuinely still think Denzel Mims is the number one wide receiver on that team. And Zach Wilson continues going overlooked, even though he's going to start 17 games. Uh, maybe the Jets compete. Like if maybe he's benched in week 18 and then Zach Wilson is not starting. But even if that's the case, that means he was good throughout the regular season. So I'm on board. I can't decide on who I prefer between Mims and Corey Davis because Mims was someone I really liked heading into last year. And then you know, didn't get to play a ton, had injury issues, had being on the worst, second worst team in the league issues. Like I, I did think really flash like that alpha upside that a lot of people thought was there and like a potentially special player. And Corey Davis, it was the breakout, but like John said, it was because he got the playoff of AJ Brown. And like, was that real? And can that be real going from you know, Ryan Tannehill to Zach Wilson and an offense too, that it was like so tightly managed and manipulated in Tennessee to kind of something being remade on the fly in New York, maybe in the image of Kyle Shanahan, Robert Sala uh, rated Kyle Shanahan's staff for his offensive staff. But Zach, I just worry about Zach Wilson. So like the way I saw Zach Wilson play in college, it reminded me of college drew lock, but only without the turnovers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people say he reminded him of like Johnny Manziel, but you know, fewer turn. He's, he's got like a, some freelance YOLO genes in him. And I could just see maybe the rookie season being a total disaster for Zach Wilson. And like, I, but it, it's, there's value to be had there. Cause a lot of people are doubting Zach Wilson. He's the number two overall pick, but he's going as like the fourth rookie quarterback. And we know uncertainty uh, definitely creates uh fantasy opportunity. Denny's planted his flag and Corey Davis, but I could also see the argument for Denzel. Mims. Yeah. And now, now after, after this discussion, uh, I'm, I'm regretting not saying Denzel Mims. I, I, you know, I was a coward. I was a coward. I went for, I went for what I thought would be the, the, the nice safe, you know, volume driven choice in Corey Davis. And, but I do want to say, if you want to get ugly, you go Zach Wilson, Chris Herndon. Let's go to the next oh. one. Oh, I, I was, I was going to say, add Michael Carter into the stacks. Yes, that's too. Many Jets. That too. Suddenly, suddenly Ryan Griffin, suddenly four man stacks. <laughs> Michael Carter is another really, really good one there. Yeah. Uh, final one. Uh, anytime. So first off in best ball stack jets, as Denny says, as, as your primary, not just as like a, a contrarian play as like your primary play stack jets and then stack former jets like Sam Darnold and Terrace Marshall, Sam Darnold to Terrace Marshall. Denny is your final is. Uh, favorite best ball, uh, high upside best ball stack. Yeah. It's so, so cheap. You know, we're talking 12th, 13th, 14th round on, on most sites, underdog and others. And, you know, Dar- you have an, another, you know, another situation where Darnold is going to start 17 games. Like he's locked in as their, as their guy this year, next year, who knows, but who cares, you know, for best ball purposes. Um, and then, you know, Terrace Marshall, like we talked about on the show last week, falls into the perfect scenario with his former uh, college offensive coordinator who knows exactly how to how to use him exactly what he's capable of um you know he's going to be probably in three wide receiver sets in that offense he's a a deep ball downfield guy so it's not like you know you're it's not like you're spending a late draft pick on a on anything close to a compiler you know he's going to be a splash 
play, big play guy down the field who, you know, is, I think, ideal uh, for for best ball purposes. I, I, I know it on on the surface and in every way, really, it's it's an ugly combination. Sam Darnold and a, and a, and a rookie receiver. Uh, but the, the fact that Darnold is locked into that role really makes me more confident in it. I disagree. I've been oh. overweight on Darnold throughout the offseason. The moment he landed with Joe Brady and then just the fact that we saw his opening schedule. Uh, we talked about it when we spoiled week one last week on the podcast. But still, the Jets, New Orleans, Houston and Dallas. You couldn't ask for a better schedule to know whether he's going to be good or not. And I understand with best ball, there's no benching players unless they score high, unless they don't score high. But overall, it's just tremendous. And then you add in the fact that, remember, for these large field tourneys, 12-man leagues, you don't have to worry about this. But for the for trying to win a million dollars, since that's fun, you look to week 17, since that's the championship game, as Justin Hersey has written about and established the run, who, of course, won best ball media underdog last year. And in week 17, Donald is playing in the Superdome against the Saints, which is another up-tempo, tremendous matchup. So overall, uh, you get the benefits if he's good, both at the beginning and at the end. You're, you're making it hard, John, to fake humility here. Uh, which which I'm trying to do, but thank you. Uh, also, very quickly, Terrace Marshall, one of the best parts we love about him is that he played both from the boundary where he ran 74% of his routes and that uh, Joe Brady, Joe Burrow offense in 2019 and then moved to the slot in 2020 where he played 73% of his routes. So experience at both with only David Moore blocking him. Nothing to worry about. And this this is like this this is the mission statement of Denny's article. It's cheap and very high upside because mm-hmm. as John just alluded to, he did it Terrace Marshall uh, under his now his former and now again current offensive coordinator Joe Brady so a lot of familiarity with the system and the play caller and someone who could have been a first round pick if not for kind of like nebulous injury concerns Uh, I must say a lot of times the nebulous injury concerns do come true the teams know stuff that the public just doesn't know and there's a reason these guys fall but it was still only the second round and the, the landing spot just could not have been better so, Denny, uh, you did a good job in the Thank article you. because this actually matched the headline. You did okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. That, that does it for today's show. Uh, what do we have coming up this week in terms of other shows, articles? Uh, John, what, what, what do you have in the pipe here? I am working on five thoughts on the NFL schedule and how to use it for best ball tournaments. Only actionable information, and I probably need to put that in the content calendar so the social team does not yell at me. Yeah, do that. I need to do that too with uh, two pieces uh, I, I have coming. One is uh, the uh, much anticipated uh, Q&A with zero RB guru, Sean Siegel. That should be up this week. I'm so also, did, you've been saying that since February, I, by I, the way. I, 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 you look, it's a, it, it turned out to be a very thorough review by Sean, and I appreciate it. You're going to appreciate it too, Pat. And I, I have. I have been talking about it <laughs> since I was in my 20s. I know. To be fair, Diddy, uh, I've been trying to update my best ball wide receiver tier since I was in my 20s, and <laughs> it's just a continuing project because there are so many changes this year. Exactly. And also, to be fair, last year, this is not a joke, I had already had my coach rankings published for nine days, and I'm still just in the middle of writing them. It's been a busy offseason. It, it was a long 2020 and a long offseason yeah. already. It's been a busy offseason here behind the scenes at NBC Sports Edge, which is why we need to end today's show and get back to work. Uh, for Denny Carter, for John Daigle, I am Patrick Darty, and we'll we will be back on Thursday with Matt Straub.